you'd like to open your Bibles, we're going to look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 12. This is the word of God. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to death. Uh, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Well, I'll pray and, and then we'll begin. Father God, we thank you. Uh, for gathering us here this morning under your word. Uh, I pray that uh, you might uh, change us by your word this morning, that you might grow us to be more like your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, tests and trials. And so a, a test or a trial is something that uh, should really uh, make you grow, uh, much like uh, perhaps some, some people who might be making a New Year's resolution uh, to go to the gym a bit more, uh, and they want to bring their muscles close to failure uh, so that they might grow and change. And so a trial uh, should do the same. Uh, it should be pushing us uh, to our limits. Now, now, nothing has quite pushed me to my limits like uh, one of my, my father's uh, classic hikes in the Blue Mountains. Uh, we were on a shorter uh, hike. Uh, it was only five days. Uh, and I've got a bit of a slide here uh, uh, just to give you a bit of context. Hopefully you can see uh, uh, where that pin is. Uh, we were hiking out to a place called Mount Cloudmaker, which uh, you can see sort of the blue dot near the top. That's, that's about Katoomba. So uh, if you can imagine the middle of nowhere, that's where we were. Uh, and we were just south of Cloudmaker where that arrow's pointing. Uh, and that was a, a little spot called Tiwila Plateau. And so we were walking, uh, walking there for a couple of hours on this plateau, and, and uh, my dad sort of, he looks at the map and he says, I think we've missed the track up to Cloudmaker. Well, well at that moment, uh, perhaps with, with, a, with a bit of shame, I admit I, I lost uh, hope, and I gave in to despair. I lost faith in my father's ability to navigate us to safety. Well, uh, as the hike progressed, I was sort of stumbling behind them, uh, and I ended up, I fell headfirst into this 
uh, lumpy, spicy clump of, of plants. And uh, I could have got up, but I just sort of lay there and hoped someone would realise and come back and get me. Uh, I had entirely given up hope. I had stopped persevering and I let my doubts get the better of me. Well, eventually we did make it to the summit of Mount Cloudmaker, albeit in the dark. Uh, and my dad has since taken me uh, to the summit of Cloudmaker and I have never seen it in the daylight. So, make of that what you will. <laughs> All right, uh, that's, we're finished with that now. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at three things uh, that James is teaching us. Uh, first, that we must endure because perseverance brings God's blessing. Second, that God is not the author of temptation. And third, we'll be looking at that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so after his reading uh, at the start of the letter of James, uh, we see in verse 2 that he, d- he starts his letter with this idea that perseverance through trial brings about a healthy faith. He speaks uh, on some other things and then he returns to this topic of, of testing and perseverance. He promises a reward for those who successfully persevere in trials by remaining firm amid testing. So James says in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now you should notice here, uh, hopefully it's ringing some bells for you, that this sounds very similar to Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes during the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And in the same way, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So what are these trials that James is speaking of? Well, a, a trial is any difficulty in life that threatens our faithfulness to Jesus. Just like that bushwalk threatened my faith in my father's ability uh, to navigate, so trials can threaten our faithfulness to Christ. Physical illness, financial upheaval, the death of a loved one, COVID, the war in Ukraine, James is not thinking of a particular trial. It's anything that stretches us to put our faith in Jesus, to put that faith into action. The things that happen in life that lead us to doubt God's goodness. Why did my wife have to die? Why did I lose my job? Why am I suffering from chronic illness? Why is there a global pandemic? Why is there a war in in the Ukraine? These are all things that we need to persevere through with our faith intact. It can be a little bit uh, disingenuous, perhaps, uh, when we suggest to someone uh, uh, whose whose family member has died that, 
well, they were a Christian, and it's just a celebration. We should just be happy. But they're still suffering under the curse of sin. And death is still sad. Or perhaps when we tell someone suffering with mental health issues that they should just have more faith. I mean, if these things were easy, they wouldn't be trials. They wouldn't need perseverance to get through them. And so if you are someone who's going through a trial, what hope is there for you? Well, much like in the Sermon on the Mount, James is giving his readers hope in what he says. It is hope that whatever our circumstances, whatever our trial we are, that we're going through, if we endure them with faith and with perseverance and commitment to God, then we will be the recipients of God's favour. See, perseverance brings about God's blessing. Perseverance brings about God's blessing. And this blessing, of course, is something that, uh, as Christians, we can enjoy today, in this lifetime, as we experience the goodness of God and the spiritual joy that he brings. But James's attention here is on the future climax, the finale of that blessing, as that last bit of verse 12 indicates to us with the crown of life. Now the word crown in that phrase, the crown of life, for most of us this morning, it probably conveys uh, that idea of, of the jewel-encrusted gold uh, thing that sits on top of the king or queen's head. But the people uh, that James is writing to would have had a very different picture. Uh, They would have thought of the laurel wreath that sat upon the victor's uh, head in an athletic contest. Uh, And this is the same way that Paul uses this this phrase, this crown, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. The victory of a, a trained and disciplined athlete in a race, it's a fitting image for the reward that God imparts to those who remain faithful to him over the often long and arduous uh, road of life. And so what is that reward? The crown of life. Life is the reward. Uh, Both new life now uh, for those who are born again, but also eternal life. And those two uh, lives come hand in hand. And therefore, our eternal hope, it should spur us onward. The purpose of verse 12 is to encourage believers to endure trials faithfully so that they might receive the reward that God has promised. I think perhaps in Christian circles we can be a little bit uh, angsty about the idea of reward or the language of reward. Like it's beneath us to have such vulgar motivations for faithfulness. I don't need a reward, God. Uh, You are so good. Yet on the other hand, perhaps sometimes we can be a little bit uh, too bottom line about our approach. What's in it for me at every step of the way? Or perhaps somewhere between these two is where we should sit. The promise of heaven's reward, it's it's found all throughout the New Testament as an incentive to our faithfulness 
Uh, it keeps our eye on the prize. It keeps us going through trials and temptations. And so with all this talk of, of trials and perseverance, James acknowledges an important truth. Whilst God may allow trials, he is not the author of temptation. So God may allow trials, but he is not the author of temptation. Enticement to sin comes from our own sinful natures. It's not from God. We are responsible and culpable for our own sins. This is an important truth for us to understand. At one moment, God is absolutely sovereign. He is in control. Yet at the same time, we are morally responsible for our actions. So let's see how this works itself out in verse 13. See, James, he doesn't drop the discussion of testing to take up the, the, the issue of trial. He's continuing his point. His concern is to help his readers resist the temptation that comes along with trial. Every trial, it brings temptation. Financial trouble makes us question God's providence in our life. Death questions God's love. The war in Ukraine makes us question God's justice. And so persevering under trial demands that we overcome these temptations. And so James says in verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So there's plenty of Old Testament examples for us of God testing or proving his servants. See, Abraham, uh, when he's told to sacrifice Isaac in uh, Genesis 22. We see Israel, they're left surrounded by pagan nations in Judges chapter 2. And King Hezekiah is left to his own devices when the Babylonian envoys come to speak with him in 2 Kings 29. However, while God may test or prove his servants in order to strengthen their faith, he never seeks to produce sin in their life and destroy their faith. God never seeks to destroy their faith and produce sin. There is a distinction here between outer trial and inner temptation, between what happens to us and how we respond. By pointing out that God cannot be tempted, James is providing for us this initial observation that points to his main point, that God tempts no one. See, temptation, it's an impulse to sin, and since God is not susceptible to sin and, and for any desire for evil, he cannot be seen as wanting that in us as well. And so James points out in verse 14, so rather than God being the tempter, a temptation is caused by our own evil desires. Now the definition of this temptation is any desire, that, uh, a desire for what God has prohibited. The way James has described the situation, he's pointing to us as having this, this built-in, this, this innate tendency towards 
sin. And so James wants to place the responsibility for temptation directly on our shoulders. That you are responsible for your own sin. And you are responsible for your own sin. And you are responsible for your own sin. So we've got the, this language of enticing and dragging away uh, in this verse. And it's, it's a fishing metaphor for us. The bait is used to entice. And once hooked, the fish is dragged away. So we have this image uh, of Satan here, casting these enticements before us, these temptations. And once hooked, uh, dragging us away when we bite. Uh, it's a vivid and terrifying picture. And we all know someone that this has happened to. Uh, they've been at church with us. Uh, we've sung next to them. Perhaps they've been a faithful or a seemingly faithful servant. But one day they just stop showing up. Something in their life has dragged them away from their faith in God, from his goodness and the salvation he offers. Like the fish, uh, some temptation has hooked them and dragged them away. And the reason, as we've seen in James, is their own sinful desires. And so continuing his point in verse 15, he, James, he shifts the metaphor a little bit there, or, or quite significantly really. Uh, he shifts that metaphor uh, that, uh, to point to how uh, desire can wreak havoc in the Christian's life. So James pictures desire as conceiving and giving birth to sin. Then, when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. So death here, it's final spiritual death. Sin, not, not atoned for, it latches onto our hearts and leads ultimately to final spiritual death. Just like the final reward is life for those who persevere, so death is the final reward for those who give in to desire. Well, James, perhaps, uh, might be missing just a crucial detail which is important to our overall theology. So what might we add to provide a more complete view here? See, James points out that temptation is innate to human nature. It's, it's part of being human is that we're tempted to sin. However, we need to acknowledge that it's the welcoming of temptation rather than the resisting of sin that is the issue. It's the desire that conceives. If it's not turned away from, it conceives sin. See, this is important for us to understand because continued experience of temptation it doesn't mean that we are out of step with the Lord or that we're out of fellowship with the Lord. See, as we grow closer to God through Jesus, uh, we have hope uh, that the frequency and the intensity of temptation should reduce but temptation will be a part of our experience as being human. Uh, just as Jesus experiences temptation in the desert, uh, at least within his humanity, uh, temptation itself is not sin. So what about your life? Uh, have you given in to temptations that try to choke the word from us? Is all hope lost if we have given in to temptation? 
Of course not. Of course not. Uh, James tells us in chapter 5 that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Trials will tempt us to turn away from God. But if we pray in faith, we will be forgiven. Well, verses 16 to 18, uh, they go on to state, I guess, the, the positive side of James's argument. God is not the author of temptation. He is, rather, the one who gives good and perfect gifts to his people, like the gift of birth into new life. And so he, he starts this little uh, section in verse 16 with a warning. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. And this is a hinge between uh, the temptations that we face and God's good gifts. A warning to understand that God is the source of all good gifts and that God does not tempt. So when we're stuck in the mire of a trial and we are tempted, or when we fall to temptation, we can be enticed to blame God for our failure. Like Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. The, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. See, Adam, he blamed Eve and God. If you hadn't put Eve here with me, God, I wouldn't have sinned. So has God tempted Adam to sin? Of course not. Adam was culpable for his own sin, just as Eve was. And so I ask you, what about in your life? What are those sins you aren't taking responsibility for? What are those sins in your life that you blame others for or blame God for? And what are you going to do to deal with that sin? Well, verses 17 to 18, they bring us to the theme of the singleness and integrity of God, uh, particularly in his giving. When we look at verse 5, we see this, that God, uh, uh, James chapter 1, verse 5, uh, God gives generously to all without finding fault. He will give to you. These final verses show, show us two things. Firstly, that God will give generously when we ask. He will give us good gifts. And second, it provides a contrast with those earlier verses. God doesn't tempt, he gives good gifts. And so in verse 17, the generous giving of God uh, would be seen as general giving rather than any specific gift being in mind here. We can see that the gift is from above, coming down from the Father because he is the source of all good gifts. And so we get this, uh, might I say, a weird phrase here where James mentions uh, the Father of the heavenly lights. Well, it's probably worth mentioning that the NIV uh, paraphrases a little bit here. Uh, and in the Greek, it's just the word lights there. However, uh, these lights 
in Greek are often referring to the heavenly lights, like the sun, the moon and the stars. And so we're meant to be drawn to this idea and this picture of, of the Father as creator. Creation of the heavenly bodies is James's evidence of God's good giving, of his power and his continuing care for the world. See, James is saying, if God has given us these amazing, seemingly infinite gifts, these eternal things in the sky, then he has infinite power to give us more good gifts. We also find another contrast here in this verse. Now between light and shadow, the father of the heavenly lights, he does not change like shifting shadows. See, James is continuing his metaphor from astronomy. Uh, with the words he's used here for change, often referring to the cycles that we see uh, up in the sky. And so God does not change as those heavenly bodies do. He doesn't go through cycles like the moon. God doesn't go through cycles of generosity and stinginess. There is a contrast here. And so God will give to us, just like in verse 5, God will give to us with an unchanging generosity. And so all good gifts come from God, both now and forever. There's a contrast here between the steadfastness of God and the changeableness of, of people. Where on the one hand, uh, if you look back in chapter 1 of James, verse 7 to 8, a person can be double-minded, unstable. They can be bounced around like a, like a wave on the ocean. And so God, on the other hand, is constant, solid. He's immutable and unchangeable. He has integrity and he's undivided. It's what we read in Numbers 23. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he not speak and then act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received the command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. God doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. He acts on his promises. When God blesses, there's nothing anyone can do about it. So if God has been the giver of good and perfect gifts, God will forever be the giver of good and perfect gifts. It's, it's who he is. It's part of his nature. And so in verse 18, when James tells us that he chose to give us first through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all created, he's providing to us an outstanding example of God's gift to us, his creatures. See, those first Christians that James is writing to were just a promise of more to come. And so we, this morning, we are a part of that promise. Those who have been born again constitute a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so we get this agricultural picture here, don't we? 
It's the initial stage of something that promises more to come. So James is referring to believers, their existence. It's a promise of more to come. More believers and more blessings as well. And so with these first fruits, James has in mind God's redemptive work. The, the salvation that he's given. See, the word is the instrument through which God brings people to life. All other occurrences of this phrase, uh, the word of truth in the New Testament, they ref it refers to the gospel as the agent of salvation. The word that can save our very souls. And so James appeals to the new birth of Christians as a striking example of God's good and faithful giving. And we see here that James, uh, he really uh, emphasises the unconstrained and free nature of that giving from God. So he uses the word that he chose, God chose. He is willingly given us his word of truth to make us his people. And so we're the recipients of, of God's good gifts. Therefore, in times of trial and temptation, remember that we serve and worship the God who only ever gives us good and perfect gifts. He has promised to bless us if we persevere. He doesn't change his mind. And so let that promise be something to spur you onward to faithful service. And so don't be tempted to blame God for your sinfulness, but turn in repentance and faithfulness to the God who gave us the ultimate good and perfect gift, Jesus. Amen.